It's episode 165 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses. And this week's guest is Chris Reed. Hello. Hi, Stuart. Thank you so much for having me on your auspicious podcast, if that's the right word. I've just used a word. I don't really know what it means. I think I think auspicious uh, is a very good description. Sounds good. I think it's broadly positive. I will insist on all guests in the future <laughs> describing it thus. Tell me about Dogface Improv. What yeah. is that? Yeah, right. Okay. So Dogface Improv. I, I, I have been an improviser for, I guess, about 12 years now. I started off when I lived in Brighton and I, I, some of my friends did a May Day's course and I, I had always loved improv from when I used to watch his lines anyway. And I thought, God, that looks like fun. I think when I watched it back in the day, you know, I think I thought I want to do that. I thought that looks fun to do. And so when my mate started doing it in Brighton, I was like, oh yeah, let's have some of that. And I went along and I did my level one with the delightful Liz Peters, um, which was awesome. She's such a great coach. And I was nervous as hell. I almost left just before it started because I couldn't cope. You know, that bit where you're sitting on chairs just before you start the first class. And I almost ran away and um, didn't. So did did improv in Brighton for a few years and then moved back to my hometown of Norwich. And I looked for improv that was happening. And there was this one group at the University of East Anglia who met. And so I went along, who met every Tuesday or something like that. So I went along and the first session I went to, the person running it said, quick announcement. Um, this is my last one. I don't want to run it anymore. And so I was, after being so happy that I'd found improv, it was it was going away. And so I just sort of said, well, I don't have much experience. I have done a bit of improv, but I'm happy to keep keep these sessions going because I want them to keep going. And really, that was then the, the, the seed. I started running those sessions. I think they were once a, once a fortnight on a Tuesday evening. And from that, we had a group of regulars. And eventually they said, can you just do a course? Because we would like to go through as a group and do a course and so i went okay and felt and start that's how i started coaching and from that dog face dog face appeared and that was when was that 2016 i think it was and um we now have a lovely thriving i would i would dare to say improv community in norwich so had you done any coaching before this i hadn't no it was completely new to me and it's such a Oh goodness me! It's so, it was. I remember the the first few. Well, I guess I, maybe the first couple of years actually of coaching. Um, lots of imposter syndrome. Lots of feeling like I don't have a right to be doing this. Um, I was lucky enough to find some very um, kind and generous improv coaches who mentored me and gave me confidence. And I have my partner. Um, actually, you know, me, me and my now wife um, met at one of those one of those drop ins. She turned up to one of these these drop ins, and that's how we met. And she was very supportive. She has her own community theatre company, um, so she sort of knows a bit what it's like to to set up and, and and run a creative company. So she gave me a lot of support. But yeah, it was terrifying becoming a coach. I didn't think I had a right to do it at all. Um, but actually, it's made me such a such. It's made me a much better improviser. I think I felt the responsibility of doing it well made me really study and research 
and take it very seriously. So I think it's it's massively improved me as a performer as well as gaining confidence as a coach. Yes, I think there's it's really useful to become better as an improviser to do things that are sort of improv adjacent. So, for example, um, doing lighting and sound for improv shows helps you mm. be a better improviser. Yes. And also, you know, the really good way to learn something is being aware that you're going to have to teach it to somebody else. Yes. And that really focuses the mind and really helps you kind of boil down what it is that you're going to share. Yeah, it makes you perhaps approach it in a more structured way than you have as a as a performer it makes you start doing lesson plans and then there's just the fact that you are watching lots of scenes because you're you know you're running classes you're sitting there watching so you just see a lot more improv it's one of those happy accidents i hadn't really intended to go down that route but it's sort of it's sort of the best thing i've ever done <laughs> apart from marrying the delightful danny o'hara <laughs> and one of the nice things about coaching is that you get to choose the games and exercises that you like to do yeah yes this is very true there are some games which shall remain nameless. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm interested to know now which games you hate. But you're absolutely right. You do get to. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think about this a lot running a company because we have a company and, we, and the company has a philosophy. And then within that, each individual coach has their own philosophy. And it's sort of all of these these influences. And that's, you know, that's as it should be. I'm always saying to people, get go and be taught by as many people as you can and work out what your own sort of improv fingerprint is cherry pick the things that you like and um yeah yeah i, th I think that's so important because it's very easy if somebody just learns from one coach to get just um it can be quite insular i think yeah. you don't kind of get a wider perspective of what's happening in the improv world yes Absolutely. I think that that's important. I think, uh, and like, you know, I'm very aware of that as we're a, a quite an isolated scene as well. And, um, you know, I do encourage people to, fortunately, there's there's more and more improv around. It's definitely building in this country and there's more and more online. And obviously there's some quite high profile shows now. So people can say so things like I'm thinking of like Netflix having that the duo Middle Ditch and, Swar and Schwartz. Mm. And um, so there are opportunities to see different styles. Uh, whereas when I was starting, I didn't, th I don't think I knew anything apart from, um, the, the, the Maydays, basically I saw Mayday shows and I was taught by the Maydays. Fortunately, they're absolutely brilliant. And there's, you know, that's not, that's not a bad situation to be in, but yeah. It's interesting because I've talked to people and they've said that they, you know, they maybe got an improv book. And mm. then they tried to learn, you know, a format or something like that from the book yeah. but, and ended up interpreting it in a different way from how perhaps other people play. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just yes. interesting you get these kind of regional variations. Yeah, absolutely. When we decided we want to do long form, the first thing we did was I got Truth and Comedy and we did the Herald. That was like the first long form thing we did, which is absolutely ridiculous. And boy, did we do it our own way, but it was fun, you know? I mean, you've said you've done it your own way. I now need to ask, how how did you make the Herald your own? Oh, God, oh, that's a great question. Um, we did exclusively time shifts. So we didn't have any kind of like thematic stuff. We just went, we're going to see these characters and then we're going to see these characters again. And then something's going to happen at the end, um, which actually talking to i can't remember who it was now either either brian jack or jonathan pitts who um we have we have had come and visit us in norwich and talking to them about the early days 
that's how Howard's were initially, I believe, is that they were just time shifts and they've sort of evolved a little bit over over the years. But I think we probably had purely time shifts and we probably had three scenes, bosh, 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 in the third beat. It was just simple kind of structure. I can't remember what we did for an opening, but I think it was the sort of opening where everybody feels awkward and doesn't really do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier uh, the dog face philosophy. Can you tell mm-hmm. me what the dog face philosophy is? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of like approach to improv, I would say that we are quite, we are quite, we're quite broad. We have the company is founded on my experience, which at the time that I started it was the May Days, basically. So that's its genesis. Um, and further to that we have trained like me and danny and our other coaches have trained with all kinds of different people so i've done stuff with the fa and for a while i was quite into game um and so that's an element of it as well so you probably can't pin us down exactly to a school but i would say that our philosophy is inclusivity is not necessarily performance being the be all and end all um because improv has helped my mental health like i've had quite bad mental health um throughout my life really it was particularly bad in my 20s and when i discovered improv in my 30s it it made a big difference actually it gave me a lot of um confidence it gave me a lot of social confidence it gave me the ability to take myself a little less seriously it had huge well-being impacts so that's at the core of us is that anybody can do it anybody who wants to should do it and we must help them to and the goal isn't necessarily to produce, and I'm doing air quotes, good improv. It is to connect and to express yourself. And so so as a virtue of that, we probably tend towards the more um, feely improv as opposed to the cerebral, heavily, heavily sort of cerebral premise game based. We're probably more towards the get on stage, connect to your scene partner. It's all about the connection. Probably more the hippie side, I would say. That's where <laughs> that's where we are. As anybody who first learned with the Maydays. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yes, I um I went to Bristol for a um a weekend that Maria Peters was running and one oh. day was on game and one day was on Harold. Um, it was fantastic because yeah. Maria is a fantastic teacher. And I realised I'm spectacularly bad at game and <laughs> heightening. And yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm, my style is more naturally perhaps where you are at the moment. Mm. But then equally, I do kind of want to practice those areas where I am. You know, yeah, with- yeah, exactly. That's This is where we need, we need to put ourselves. I'm forcing myself to, um, on Friday to go to a, we've got, we've got a, um, a, a singing team which is something that's happened in the last sort of couple of years we've had the wonderful heather and heather and joe heather urquhart and joe samuel here a couple of times to do musical weekenders and from that um one of our coaches mark uh womersley has taken on like he really loves it he's, he's taken on getting a musical team going we have had a blinding piece of luck and we have the most amazing pianist who used to play in you know jazz bars piano bars all around the world and used to be the the pianist for the spontaneity shop in london and he now lives around here and boy have we lucked out he's he's amazing so we have a musical team which is lovely and now that's not naturally 
where I am. In fact, I would go as far as to say it slightly terrifies me. But on Friday, I'm going to go because this is what we must do, right? We must put ourselves into into the places which are uncomfortable and uh, I was going to say conquer them, conquer them, but at least conquer them, whatever that means to you. Do you want to give uh, your companionist a name check? Yes, he is called Richard and he also has a surname. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think of him as Dickie. Um, I want to say I want to say Richard Bird, but that's Dickie Bird. That's an umpire. Oh, this is poor, isn't it? Like I say, I'm not very involved in the music. He's a he's a lovely man. I will say that, and I, I'll now try and quickly. Can you sort this out in post? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he he won't mind. You don't have to. <laughs> he's called Dicky B. He's in my WhatsApp as Dicky B. Let's go with Dicky B. It's a good stage name, Dicky B, isn't it? <laughs> but you're right. Um, you know, I really love musical improv, but it's it's you're right it's about. Um, sort of developing areas where you don't feel quite so confident yeah. and also um, getting good at musical improv helps you get good at non-musical improv as well because it's all listening right. it's all paying attention it's all you know yeah yeah I've, I mean I love I've loved the Heather, Heather classes that we've had oh I've just remembered something that me and you were um, on a showstoppers workshop which was a surprising workshop for me to be on um, but, but you were there possibly it was the first time I met you actually and you were very very lovely and very very much um calming to my extreme nervous state um my partner bought it for me for my birthday and just went there you go happy birthday and it was great but it was terrifying and i found that tough i must admit yeah. that first everybody standing in a circle I'm like okay everybody we're just gonna warm up and already there's these like west end musical voices coming out of people i'm like oh my god i am out of my depth but I survived and it was all right. That's I, I haven't been to another one. <laughs> They're so good at what they do and they expect you to be good too. Yes. And, um, and, and you know, I kind of, I, I feel that I do my best to rise to their expectation, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's something to be said for that approach. Like if you just are expected to be amazing, you step it up you you know you do your best um so there, i think there is something to be said for that approach but and you know it's not that this is part of being an improviser isn't it feel slightly out of your depth and realize that it's okay <laughs> nothing horrendous is going to happen the worst is you're going to dry up and look a bit silly and like if you if you can't you need to be able to cope with that yeah and you might you know the worst that will happen is that you might do in inverted commas, terrible improv, yeah. whatever that means. And nobody else will remember. It exactly. may haunt you. Yes. It may haunt you. You may yes. think about it lots. You may self-recriminate, but nobody else is thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody cares about what you do as much as you do, which yes, is this good. Is very true. Which is a very good life lesson as well. This is this is why improv is so good for life. It's like, it doesn't matter. Because this is, you know, I ha used to have a lot of social anxiety. I used to be very scared of social situations. And um, and perhaps, you know, perhaps paranoid as well. That kind of mentality is almost a little bit arrogant. Exactly what you're saying. Like, you think anybody has got time to be worrying about what you're doing? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that um what i always say in these situations is that improv can be therapeutic but mm. improv is not therapy and if people need therapy they should get therapy yes. um but having said that it, it has helped me lots and 
yeah, it, it's helped me let go of some things that I worried about. It's mm. just funny when you mentioned, you know, being really nervous the first time you did improv. I, I hid in the toilets at the rag factory. Did you? And hiding in toilets is never a good choice, but <laughs> especially not at the rag factory, which uh, I don't even know if that's still going. But um, it's um, it's a it's a it's it's a terrifying place if you're going to do improv for the first time, right? So who was there? I think you mentioned this to me before. It's not somewhere I'd heard of, but it was a real proper dive. Like improv should be in dives, shouldn't it? Yeah, and so it, it, it fit the bill. Right. Um, it's about 10 years ago. Um, and it was a converted factory where they did some sort of textiles or something like that. Right. But yeah, there was at least one improv session I've been to there that kind of came to a halt because someone had screamed because they'd seen a rat, you know, that sort <laughs> of thing. Uh, brilliant. That is as it should be. <laughs> it certainly lowered my expectations of, you know, and I, yeah. well, because I came, I came to Norwich. Uh, you very kindly invited me to come and run a session on movement, and uh, the room we used that was lovely. I was like, this yeah, is we, the life. Yeah. You, treat, you treat your guests, teachers very well. Oh, for you, Stuart, we pulled out the we pulled out the uh, the impressive rooms. Nothing but the best <laughs> for Stuart Moses. I said to Danny. Um, but yeah, it was lovely. It was such a great session. And actually, you were the first. Uh, we'd got into quite a good groove before COVID of having visiting coaches from all over the place. And we, we've we got the, oh, goodness, we're one of my favorite improvisers ever is a guy called Micah Philbrook, who uh, has coaches for Second City um, and has done for IO as well in Chicago. And he is such a nice guy. I did. We did a long form intro with him at Angel Comedy, like, I don't know, it probably was about 2016, 17 and we've stayed in touch ever since he's such a generous guy that not only does he mentor me whenever I've got something I'm not sure about, I can just email him and he'll send back such a thoughtful, considerate response. But he's also been over here and it was so special having him um, and his uh, improv partner over here. We feel we they did a show, they did um, some workshops, they did a, a a show and it was really special we we filled out the bottom floor of a pub we had about 60 or 70 people in the audience and it was just a magical evening and that i think is responsible for our community getting really excited about long form when you have that that top level improviser come and perform in your backyard it's really special so through him the other thing that he does is when he some of his friends are coming over here to the uk he mentions us and he puts us in contact. So on the 1st of March, we have a Chicago musical improviser running um, a uh, a class with us. So um, this is a very long-winded way to get round to saying that you were our first guest coach for a long time because that all stopped over COVID. And last year, we got the company back back up and running, um, but we didn't have any guest coaches. And you have kicked, kicked, kicked us off. And this year, we've got, I think, probably a guest coach every month this year. Um, yeah, well, it was it was absolutely delight, and I felt very uh, very well looked after. So thank you very much for it was that. A wonderful and, session. Yeah, I um, yeah, I I, um, I feel very passionate about kind of using physicality in improv and mm. trying to use fewer words, and then when you do use words, those words have much more effect rather than yes. I realised as I was saying that I was using a lot of words, but you know, <laughs> oh the irony. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned you've got um, Stephanie McCulloch coming. That's right. Yes, um, to do scene to song. Scene to song is one of my favourite musical improv things to do. Right. Okay. Something I don't know about... too much about it, not being much of a musical improviser, but it feels like it's what we, what I need. So I booked it. 
So I, um, for a long time, I didn't understand musicals and I didn't enjoy them. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get mm. it. I don't get it. And then when I was starting doing improv with Hoopla, um, we had a performance coming up and I was really terrified. So I did as many classes as I could, including I went down to Brighton to do the Thursday night drop-in. Mm. And uh, it was Heather and it was Joe. And they were doing a musical session. And I'm like, wow, I haven't even done my first performance. Wow. And, you know, it was just an amazing night. Mm. Um, and we did scenes into songs. And I'm like, oh, now I understand. <laughs> Suddenly, like, a, a thing clicked in my brain. And I'm like, oh, now I understand musicals. And now I love them. Um, so that sounds like it'd be fantastic. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. I'm very much on the fence about musicals. Um, Danny uh, laughs at me because I say, I don't like musicals. I hate musicals. And she says, but you do like some, don't you? I'm like, well, yeah, okay. I hate musicals apart from the Rocky Horror Show. Okay, when I went and saw Les Mis, I, I cried. I did quite enjoy that, I must admit. And then I reel off all of the musicals that are exceptions. And she's like, I think you sort of do like musicals, really. But um, you just you just don't, yeah, you don't think I, of yourself as someone that does. I don't. And I, I think maybe there's, there's certain types of musicals that I am not, not a fan of. Um, I think when they're done well and in an interesting way, then they're great. But possibly the sort of like, I don't even have the vocabulary to describe it really, but probably the sort of traditional, I want probably like the sort of Andrew Lloyd Webber kind of musicals maybe, but I don't know. But then again, I went and saw Joseph and quite enjoyed that. So you know what? I think I just like musicals, <laughs> but, but I'm not comfortable with it. So there we go. This is exactly why I need to start going to musical improv, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, yes. Uh, I was very inspired by, you know, talking to members of Showstopper, the improvised musical, and just, you know, hearing about their, the way they prepare, you know, where they've mm. always got, you know, musicals on their phone that they're, they're constantly listening in. And yeah. the idea of constantly having to keep up to date with new musicals as well, because you always get some people that yes. will try and, oh, you know, they were in New York and they saw, you know, Broadway or whatever, and they saw a musical that isn't even in the UK yet, and they'll, they'll yes. try and, you know, catch you out there. And yes. You ain't catching them out. Yeah, right. No, showstops are fantastic. I've loved. I've seen them about three or four times, and I've I've, I've loved everyone. Yeah. Um, and also, Jen Rowe is coming to visit. She is. Yeah, we're slowly working through the May days. We've got. We've had in the past. We've had Heather and Joe, Jules Munns. Uh, we've had Liz Peters here. We've had Rebecca McMillan. Um, and we are now getting Jen Rowe hotly followed by Chris Mead, oh, who is former Mayday. But yeah, we're, 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 and we've had Katie shoot as well. So yeah, we've got to find, <laughs> we've got to find a new uh, troop to move on to and milk. Or maybe we just start again back at the beginning of the May days. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think that, yeah. <laughs> that sounds very, that sounds very. Yeah, simple. looking forward to Jen. She's doing Shakespeare and sci-fi, which are two that I'm really excited about. Yes, that's yeah. an interesting combination. I mean, not yeah. they're, they're two separate sessions. They are two separate sessions. Although, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's probably done Shakespeare sci-fi, I'm sure. Uh, Return to the Forbidden Planet. Is that not oh, based hello. on Tempest? Yes, it is. Very good. Good shout. I'm not very normally very good at remembering things when I'm recording a podcast. So I thought, well, there's a fact I've actually remembered. <laughs> I'll, I'll pop that one in there. Um, it just... Um, Going back to kind of what you were saying about um, making Dogface inclusive, yeah, how, how do you ensure that it is inclusive for people? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the first thing, thing that we do is that we do not do anything that isn't wheelchair accessible. That is at the, at the core um, of, of what we do. And I have to say that 
Um, one uh, Mark, who I mentioned earlier, who runs the musical team, he's a powered wheelchair user, and I've become. He started coming to the the sessions when I started running them all that time ago, and he's become one of our coaches and a member of the sort of the dog face management team. Um, and through becoming really good friends with him, I have been educated in what life is like for wheelchair users in this country. If you look around, if you look at the world through um, somebody who needs access through their through their eyes, you'll see that an incredibly hostile environment that really doesn't cater for them at all. And it, in, more than that, excludes them, discriminates against them. And um, it's, it's really, really bad. And I think more people, more of us who are um, able-bodied need to advocate more for this and need to be better allies because it's almost at the minute um like a socially acceptable form of discrimination people say oh but you know we're, we're in an old building and there's stairs and and you know there's not much we can do about that to which i would say don't be in that building like it's really important to not exclude people um and uh yeah so that that's at the core and then that philosophy really goes through everything we're always asking people like what more can we do is there anything that we I'm not doing that would make it make it better for you. Um, and we have quite a quite a diverse community. We've got a variety of ages. Um, both of my parents now do improv, which is, you know, hilarious. Oh, they were in the class that you taught, actually, weren't they? Yes. And, I was um, like, this, this is the first, but um, <laughs> I always I always try to encourage people when they they pair up to try and find the person they know least well. But I yes, you and your dad ended up working yes. with you. I ended up working with my dad. Yes, <laughs> relationship. I don't know. Um, but that's been a fantastic thing. That's a lovely. I never thought they're not performers. They haven't got a performance background, and to be on stage doing um, a, a scene scenes with my parents is is hilarious. Um, and wonderful and absolutely wonderful. So we've got a diversity of age. We've got lots of neurodiversity. We have. Um, uh, movement diversity. We had uh, we have got somebody in our community who's had a a stroke and has difficulty with um, constructing sentences, and we have somebody else who who doesn't talk and instead uses types and uh, uses a either an iPad or or a different machine that that speaks uh, for her. Um, and the the upshot is that diversity makes things more interesting. Full stop. Like far from being we are doing this for the person we are depriving our community of of brilliance if we exclude people the more diversity you have in the mixing pot of all types the more interesting the art will be that comes out the other side the other side so yeah we we do our best but we we can probably do better and we're always on a quest for working out how we can show that because i truly believe that like it's for it's for everybody you know there isn't a restriction on who can do improv i don't think yeah 100 percent. and yeah the greater variety of people that you have to play with the greater variety of stories the richness yeah 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 yeah, 100%. yeah you get more you just get more life experience in the mix don't you yeah i um yeah i, I love if if i see a you know a diverse group uh you know come on stage i'm like oh okay there's something rich about this already. I'm going to get some great experiences. Great. I'm going to hear stories I don't normally get to hear. And also, it kind of makes me think, well, they've thought about how to make this group accessible. Yes. Yeah. And I, I know they immediately have my respect for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes. So, anyone who's putting on a show, 
make it accessible or a class or anything make it accessible because like before i knew mark i didn't think about it this is the thing it's not on many people's radars um but i have come to believe that it's incredibly important that we that we do make an effort there 100 you um you hold a jam night oh i love our jam nights yeah they're really really fun um we used to run them in a 14th century crypt but unfortunately during covid that shut down because of various uh pressures of, of running an old building and so now we do them in a scout hut which is also also a lot of fun not quite as special as being and that was a magical place to do improv um but yeah they're really really fun just you know people people from who've just been who maybe some people come to jams for the for the and haven't improvised before or maybe they come with their partner who's on the course and they get inspired to get up on stage themselves and it's a real fun mix of experience and new people and then everyone goes down the pub afterwards and yeah i i love a jam night i i find it amazing i'm constantly staggered that people will start doing improv by doing a jam yeah i don't know if that probably tells you something about how i approach life but i'm like i need <laughs> to do well i did the hoopla beginners course three times before i did my first performance right um so yeah i'm always amazed when people can do that um how do you run the night to try and make sure it runs smoothly yeah so i guess we we've settled into sort of a pattern that works works for us we tend to do one half of so they're about 90 minutes i, I guess they always run over by about 15 minutes so they're, they're, they're a little bit longer they're 105 minutes let's say and we have um one half oh so sometimes we'll have a, a team we have had guest teams in the past from Cambridge or, or London or elsewhere, or one of our local teams will maybe do a set. Um, sometimes we have that, sometimes we don't have. Sometimes we have a course grad show set as well, because someone's just done our, our level one course and uh, or a group has just done our level one course and they have maybe 30 minutes at the start or something like that. And then we'll have a short form section and then we'll have a long form section. The long form section is names in a hat pull them out get a suggestion do a two-person scene we don't tend to do montages and things because we just find that they're i don't know montages in jams can be a bit tricky i think i think that they're often not necessarily a nice experience for everybody so instead we do two-person scenes where everybody gets you know an even even bite of the cherry really yes um regular listeners will know my opinion on jams uh, oh, jams generally or any specifics yeah i well it took me a very long time to enjoy them yeah and now it's fine but i felt like you know it took a long time to uh yeah a lot of time to get there for me they can be tricky but i think i think that they can and i've been to you know jams um all over the place and sometimes you are in that position where you're doing a montage and it's only you know you've only got nine minutes and everybody is like, oh, I've got to get my stage time, I've got to get my stage time. And it can be a challenging environment. But I think that you can, it's a different muscle that you're practicing. You're practicing performing with people who are desperate for stage time and want to keep tagging you, tagging you out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I get to practice that muscle. I get to practice my backline muscle quite a lot here. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you, you're, entirely, you're entirely right. It's, it's the people who are desperate for stage time yeah at my expense <laughs> yes yeah so that's that's pretty much why we don't do a montage we do we do two person scenes we sometimes do a tag run challenge which is a lot of fun we get three people up and they have five minutes to basically do as many tags as they can so we just have an intense 
tag run. You can't no repeating of characters. Five minutes timed on a clock with a klaxon at the end, um, and that's just that's good silly fun. Oh yeah, that's that sounds super fun. Tell me about experimental improv, getting tech involved. Ah yes, right. So my day job is I'm a programmer, computer programmer, and I love the creative side of programming. Programming is surprisingly creative, um, and it sort of fits my brain of like half sciencey, half half creative. And one of my favorite things is trying to bring um, tech into improv. Um, at the minute, uh, our house team, we've just got, uh, that's another thing that's come back this year is we've got our house team together. And we're, what we're trying to do is devise a new show, which there's no rush. It's all very casual. Um, it's, we meet, we meet at, we meet, every week and we either do some long form or some short form whatever and the goal is that we're going to look to do a show that we have completely devised ourselves so we're sort of in r d mode we're, we're we're trying stuff we're messing about we're workshopping stuff and the thing that i'm bringing at the minute is um i'm working with the open ai gpt3 model which has gained a lot of notoriety um in the form of chat gpt so i'm trying to train it I'm, tra I'm training two different models. I'm trying to train, train one model to be a scene partner and one model to be a, like a, a, a an MC, a host, with different results. So I keep fiddling about with that and taking it to rehearsal, and it's quite funny, some of the um, interactions that we're having. So so that's, that's one way that I'm doing it. We also used to have a show called The Face-Off, which was basically a theatre sports show where the audience suggested and voted via their phones. And it was great. It was an absolute hoot. We had two teams and a big screen and audiences love just that that kind of interaction. So I'm looking to to build some more games where people can interact via their phones, maybe controlling the scene, maybe altering stuff in the in the scene. Um, so that's all sort of in the lab at the minute. But I love I have I have lots of lots of crazy ideas, lots of very sort of left left field ideas that might not to come not might not come to fruition like. I've I've uh, I've done some some early hours googling of haptic bands that you can attach to your wrist and leg. So haptic like the things that vibrate in your phone. And the my idea being that the improviser has haptic bands attached to their limbs and somebody in the audience has an Xbox controller that they are when the improviser feels the vibration they move their limb Wow. And so someone in the audience is controlling the movement of an improviser. So it's like a technological evolution of the, what's the game called where you move people around the stage? I can't remember, but yes. that one. Um, puppets, mannequins. Yeah, puppets. mannequins maybe, yeah. Um, so yeah, and you know, a, bun a bunch more. I've got lots of insane ideas, um, but we'll see how many, if any, <laughs> come actually come to fruition but i yeah i love that kind of territory that sounds amazing i love anything that enables the audience to get involved yes. without having to shout things out yeah shouting things out is fine but it suits a certain type of audience member the loudest the most concise whereas anything written down and now anything using haptic bands or <laughs> texting um yeah, just it just allows more people in the audience to get involved, and I really love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm all for that, and it's it's amazing. When I built the the, the tech show, that was really just people voting. Um, they suggested at the beginning of the show, and then they voted. I didn't think it was very much involvement, but people, audiences, absolutely loved it. They just loved that they were doing stuff on their phone, and it was affecting the show. 
Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds amazing. Um, please, can you teach me a new a game or an exercise, either something you've invented, something you've adapted, or just something you love? Okay, all right. I was thinking about this, and um, I realised that one of my favourite things is is something that I think I first did when me and Danny went and did the IO five week um, course in Chicago. I think we did that in 2017 or 18. I can't remember, but one, one of those two and almost, I think it was possibly the first day our teacher who was the wonderful Jessica Rogers um, divided us into groups, gave us the name of a game, which didn't exist and gave us, 60 seconds to create it and it was absolutely magnificent and we have done um and you know some are great some are absolutely awful but this is something that we we have done sometimes in rehearsal we just say okay someone come up with the name of a warm-up and someone will say oh, i've lost my shoes and like okay let's confidently go around one at a time you four people one at a time you're just going to explain the rules to i've lost my shoes and then we play i've lost my shoes so you know, I love, I love that. I love that. We've done it in shows as well. We've got the audience to suggest the name of the game, and then the performers huddle up for sixty seconds, and then we play this game. And there's been some absolute brilliance, and there's been some absolute horrendously bad games. Hey, we can have a go if you fancy it. We can, we can, we can create a game right now. I have, I have a strict no improvising policy on this podcast. Okay. Thank do, you for that. Do you have do you have a strict no devising short form games policy though? Because we don't have to no. play it. <laughs> um, um, I've I've done. Um, I did a similar thing with uh, Imogen Palmer at, at the Bristol Improv Theatre, okay. uh, where we were devising shows and we were doing that exact thing where we were just doing rapid uh, rapid iteration. Where yeah, someone would say, "This show's called." charity shop stories and then you'd have two seconds to go uh this story takes place in a charity shop and what happens is um you pull an item out or a donations out of the donation and then you have to tell a story about that item or the person that used to own it or that sort of thing yeah can i just say that that's that's excellent and if you don't mind i'm going to use charity shop stories because that's a great form i love that please please do please do um you yeah if you if you can do it as a uh, site specific um performance in an actual charity shop as well yes uh, that would be even better but yeah well i, I find i don't know I, I do a lot of shopping in charity shops and i i find you know the things that people give away interesting and you think oh okay, yeah it's a story you know what was that their story um and then i was thinking actually you could have the people the staff working in the charity shop you could have them start by having a conversation and maybe one of them's got an issue or a problem that's bothering them yeah and we see two or three stories inspired by these items and then maybe at the end they find a solution to their problem or some sort of piece or something like that Don't yeah i love this have you ever have you ever tried it no i haven't no no man we've got to do this yeah next well, next time you're here we're, we're doing this i love it fantastic that's that that sounds great Sell me on the deconstruction. Oh, Why do you the, love the deconstruction? Yeah, wow, the decon. So, what is it? So it is a form, I believe I'm correct in saying that it just slightly predates the Harold. I think it was the precursor, unless I'm getting my timelines mixed up, which is entirely possible. But it's of that sort of 
era of Genesis. And it, it came out of a team called the family. Um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. My main reason, the main reason that I love it is because you get to do several different types of improv throughout the piece and like all improv pieces there's lots of different interpretations of it and they're 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 great i've i've taken classes on the decon i think four times so and had four different ways of approaching it um the most recent one i took with miles stroth who was a member of the family one of the guys that created it basically did that over zoom you know the 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 the, the lockdown um connected uh, the globe of improvisers and suddenly i was like oh hang on a second i could take a class with miles stroth so i did that it was slightly terrifying he's he is in the the nicest possible way slightly terrifying because he's no nonsense he just tells you exactly what he thinks about what you've just done um which i, I loved in the end the first couple of sessions i felt incredibly out of my depth by the end i just loved his, his the directness and he 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 does the original very very technical version of the decon and I think at this at this point, that's the one that I love the most. So you start off with a scene, a quite a grounded scene, and you sit in that for maybe five, six, seven minutes, something like that. And we established this relationship between these two characters. And then this is what we're then going to deconstruct over the course of the piece. Um, there's usually some kind of problem or friction point or something, something where there's two points of points of view. Um, so we're looking for some kind of friction within that scene. And then you then explore this through a, a variety of different sections. Um, so, for example, after that first scene, we then see two scenes. The first, the first one will explore one point of view and the second one will explore another point of view. So one point of view from one character and the second scene will explore point of view from another character. It won't be in the same world. It will be extracted, twisted, mapped onto a different situation so you might take um like and at um annoyance at a lack of punctuality is like driving one of the characters and so you'll take that and put it but maybe that's in a in a home environment so maybe you'll take that and you'll put that in a work environment and do a scene about that um and then throughout you'll then go back to the original scene and we'll keep dipping back into the original scene and the idea is that the original two performers just play those characters and everybody else on the back line is deconstructing that. So the original performers step out and watch the scenes that deconstruct it. They then take that information back into the grounded scene, which we keep revisiting. Um, so there's that. You then have uh, thematic scenes, which are peas in the pod scene, um, uh, which can, and then we can have some um, uh, straight absurd scenes or some uh, whatever you want to call those these days. I'm a bit of an improv dinosaur. I still think of it as as uh, the straight man, uh, straight absurd. But uh, the voice of reason character, I guess, is the is the uh, other way to put that. Um, and through these various sections, we start to deconstruct in different ways, um, culminating in the run, which is towards the end, which is a series of very of decreasing length scenes so scenes that get quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker until you feel like you're at the apex of energy and then you come out into the final conclusion which is back to that grounded scene so I, I've, I've mangled the explanation a little bit there but you get the the vague gist which is we are taking this thing at the beginning this relationship this grounded 
real world relationship scene and then we're deconstructing it by looking at different aspects of it and using different styles of improv to bring out interesting um aspects of it and the whole thing gets deconstructed all of the way through i think it's i think it's the most beautiful form in the world i absolutely love it and as somebody who enjoys both grounded scenes and very silly short scenes it's all in there you get to do it all so if someone were to step on stage with you uh what could they do to delight you oh that's such a lovely question the idea being that when people find out your answer they will do this in the future <laughs> oh oh i think they should give me 100 pounds from their actual real world wallets um <laughs> i don't know that I, I i would like them to do something surprising but fully committed not not surprising because they want to be zany surprising because we're going to start with a bang we're going to start with a oof, something something bold fantastic and what's your signature move what's the thing you do that saves the day and brings down the house and has everyone going classic chris <laughs> um i think i'm quite good at finding the out finding the button i think that that's just how my brain works i do a bit of stand-up as well um i enjoy finding the funny and i'm very aware so like through my improv journey i've had to like the moderate that and work against what i like to call the gag reflex <laughs> um but when need be if you need that button to just go out on i think i can i can more often than not i can find something which will will give us give us that and like you know we know not every scene has to be funny not every scene has to have a button laugh but if it's needed i will i'll do my best to find it well that will be the button that's the button <laughs> <laughs> to end the episode of the podcast so what i've got to do is say thank you for being a guest on the improv london podcast thank you so much Stuart. it's been an absolute pleasure come back and teach in norwich again oh, yes please soon i made this That's improv! <laughs>